0: President Luxon, Vice President Nixon, Dr. Arthur, if you're here somewhere. Distinguished faculty, Pastor Dwight, thank you for sharing your pulpit today for a second time. Beloved, beneficent, family and relatives, friends, esteemed, eminent, Graduating class of 2021, those who are here and those who are joining us virtually, I'm honored and privileged to stand before you again today on this occasion and for the privilege to share with you some words that I pray will be of benefit to you. I want to especially thank Your President, Dr. Luxton, for the invitation. And I pray that what I share will be a blessing to all of us. I want to share some words from the book of Acts, chapter 1. And I'll begin reading at verse 6. And I'll read down to verse 11. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you going at this time to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand looking into the sky? This same Jesus, whom has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. For the next few moments, I'd like to share a few words from the subject, graduation, then what? Let us pray. Now, Father, we ask that you will speak to us for the next few moments. And we pray that you alone will be heard. Let us see Jesus and him alone. And we'll be careful to give him all the praise, the honor, and the glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 10 years ago, on April of 2011, 10,000 young people descended on Washington, DC for the Power Shift Conference to call for bold action from the government leaders to address climate change and to create clean energy economy for all. Many of these young people had a more specific and personal message for Congress, and the message was, I need a job. These young adults named themselves the Briefcase Brigade, and 10 years ago, they brought attention to the growing epidemic of un- and underemployed millennials. They represented the millennial generation of college graduates and they were asking and saying to the Congress in America, we are ready to work. We know the the economy is in bad shape and we know the country is in trouble and we want to help, but first, we need jobs. The challenge they faced as they graduated from college was great. And at the time, over five million young people were out of work and that did not include those who continued to work at unpaid internships, or those who worked at low-wage jobs without health insurance and still others who went back to school because they couldn't find a job and create more debt for themselves. Well, that's just a snapshot of what happened to millennials 10 years ago on graduation day, so What's your generation facing, Generation Z today, as you graduate 10 years later? Well, the government still has not adequately addressed climate change. And some are still debating whether or not climate change is real. The largest 10 forest fires in California's history have happened since 2020. Scores of fires are raging in Greece and Turkey and Italy and Albania and the Balkans and Romania and the Ukraine and Russia right now. You think because CNN and Fox News doesn't report it that it's not happening? And they are all due directly to climate change. But what about the economic prospects? Today, the challenges are just as daunting. Today, student loan debt in the United States has ballooned to $1.6 trillion. And that's an average of $37.6 thousand dollars per student. And while the job market is beginning to open at higher rates, your graduating class is competing with the class of 2020 that graduated at the height of COVID-19 when the economy was at its lowest. Career sites like Handshake and LinkedIn are seeing huge increases in their job listings this year as compared to last year. In April of 2021, the job listings for Handshake was up, was up at 2,009% higher than 2020 and 48% higher than 2019. So the challenges are real. And social scientists are saying that your generation will be the first generation in the history of America that will be worse off in every major social indicator of progress than your parents. And it is clear that your parents and grandparents see more concern about multi-million dollar flight expeditions to the rim of space's atmosphere for an experience of 30 seconds of weightlessness than they are to address the weightier matters of life such as justice, mercy, and faith. Calling themselves Christian while not living up to the high and holy name by which they are called. These are the times that we are graduating and that you are graduating into. So the question today is graduation, then what? Our question today is much like the question the disciples pondered as they watched the greatest figure of humanity leave their lives. They strained their eyes trying to catch a final glimpse of his majestic figure as he disappeared behind the clouds, standing frozen in time, paralyzed, immobilized by the uncertain reality of his ascension. Jesus had graduated their security blanket The one who allowed them to waste time fighting and arguing among themselves about trivial matters Like who will be greatest among us? Or who will be the leader or what position will I have? If they only knew what leadership positions in his kingdom would really cost them perhaps They would not have wasted as much time as they did, consumed in petty jealousies, in rivalry, and personal advancement. When James and John, through their mother, sought key positions in Christ's kingdom, Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking for. Can you drink the cup I will drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? You see, people want blessings without burdens. They want advancement without adversity. They want success without struggle. People want your anointing without the agony you had to endure to achieve it. They saw the success of Jesus' ministry. The people following him everywhere, his power to heal the sick, raise the dead and feed the hungry. But they did not realize the cost of his conquest. When James and John said, we are ready to drink your cup, Jesus responded, you indeed will drink my cup. But where you will sit in my father's kingdom is, is in my father's hands and not mine. If they really knew what following Christ would cost, perhaps they would have prepared themselves differently before his departure. But now he's gone, and they have witnessed it all. He has conquered death in the grave, and now he will be coronated. Graduation day has come for Jesus, and wow, they are dumbfounded and immobilized by the ascension of Christ, they did not realize that graduation had come for them as well. They had been trained firsthand through deep intensives by the greatest rabbi the world has ever known. Did you know that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. taught one class while he was here and alive? He taught a class at Morehouse on social justice and only six students signed up for the class. They listened to his lectures and took tests from him and Dr. King was known to write his comments on their test but none of the students kept any of their test and they only have a few of his notes from the course that he taught and now they are kicking themselves because if you can find anything handwritten by Dr. King you could become A very wealthy person today. But you see, that was before he became one of the greatest figures in the world and world history today. And so they underestimated who they were learning from and devalued the information they were receiving. Now multiply Dr. King by 100,000 and that's who the disciples were learning from. Acts presents itself as the totality of what Jesus did and taught. It says it was written to present to us all that Jesus began both to do and teach his disciples. That's what the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts is about. Jesus did the theory before he taught it. And John 3.35 tells us God gave the spirit to Jesus without limit. I heard someone say I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. The teaching method of Jesus represents the two wings of true education. It's more than prose and proposition, more than sayings and supposition. True education is theory and practice. It's orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Or perhaps, to be more precise, it is theory confirmed by practice. What good is a formula? If it has never been tried or tested by its originator, they have been training with him for three and a half years about the same amount of time as a good quality undergraduate education. And like any good professor, he gave them every opportunity to reach their full potential. From the moment he met them and called them in the tradition of the rabbis of his day, he poured himself into them. They have seen him at his highest highs and his lowest lows, and even though they all failed their final exam, well, all except John and the sisters, the women always come through. Come on, say amen, somebody. Jesus gives them a crash remedial course for 40 days just before his time with them is over. And even after the remedial course has ended, the last thing they ask him is, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? Still failing the pop quiz just before his departure. And now they witness another tremendous feat as earth's gravity could no longer hold him. From conquering the grave to conquering earth's hold on humanity. And they are privileged to see it all. And their reaction to Christ's ascension is a strange one but typical. They stand gazing. Wanting to remain in the moment or era of Christ's ministry. Not wanting it to ever end. But even Christ's ministry had to conclude. John's moment was brief. He saw it for a moment preparing the way of Christ, but when Jesus came, his era was over. And while he knew it intellectually, it was more difficult for him to accept realistically. And so now another major shift takes place. One era has ended and another is about to begin, but the disciples are not ready for the next era. They stand gazing. Their experience with Jesus was so powerful and so life-changing that they didn't want to move away from it. They thought their lives had reached the pinnacle, the apex in the Jesus era. What could possibly exceed their experience with Jesus? But they could not know. That their experience with Jesus was not the end, but just the beginning. And that's what graduations are, you know. They're contronyms. What's a contronym? A contronym is a word that embraces opposite meanings. Well, let me explain it like this. The word oversight is a contronym. It means... A lapse in watching over but in another context it can mean the act of watching over like when the Congress selects an oversight committee to investigate someone or something huh? or the word sanction when a judge sanctions he gives permission in order to allow but when a nation sanctions they blockade in order to prevent When you wind up a watch, you start it, but when you wind up a speech, you're ending it. At the marriage altar, to cleave means to join together, to make two into one, but at a butcher shop, a meat cleaver means to separate and whack one into two. And so it is with the word commencement Commence means to begin, but at graduation time, commencement signifies to end. When ascending from the Mount of Olives, Jesus' earthly ministry was ending, and his disciples felt things were ending for them as well. But in a real sense, what was ending for Christ was beginning for them. There was something ahead for them. The graduation weekend this weekend is marking an ending, but it also marks a beginning. There is something ahead for you. But many young adults today who are graduating find themselves standing and gazing. Remaining in a state of inactivity, not wanting to leave what they see as the best experience in their lives. Afraid to face the next step like the disciples. But Jesus' journey had come to an end, and it had been a difficult journey. He has had to make many adjustments and changes to fulfill the mission God gave him. He came to this earth as the ultimate immigrant, the true foreigner in every sense of the word, born into a poor, oppressed immigrant family, to an unwed teenage mother, the ultimate immigrant, Jesus. And he takes the identity of a despised immigrant group. The kind of immigrant that politicians campaign against and win elections despising. That's Jesus. I wonder if the immigrant Jesus tried to gain entrance into America today. Would evangelical Christians who claim to represent Christ, would they give Jesus a visiting visa? Or would he be detained and turned around at the U.S. border? Would we accept him as our Messiah if he came as an immigrant of color today? What do you think Jesus meant? When he said in Matthew 25, 35, when I was a stranger, you took me in. What do you think he was talking about? In order for us to accept the historic Jesus, not this sanitized, commercialized Jesus in that cute little nativity scene that you put on the lawn of your house at Christmas time. I'm talking about the real Jesus. There are some things in us And about ourselves that we will have to reject to accept the real Jesus. The ceremony has ended. The commencement address has been delivered. And still the disciples are frozen in a state of inertia. Gazing. The King James Version says... Other translation says looking intently straining their eyes to gain a final view a final glimpse of Jesus not wanting the moment to end not wanting Jesus to leave and almost disbelief they are not prepared for the next transition of their lives but Jesus the epoch of Jesus on earth has ended it was over he was gone and now they are not certain what to do they have reached and received the diploma They've seen the celestial commencement. Jesus has gone from them. He's given them the preparation they need to reach their full potential. And now they must begin life without him among them. Graduation, then what? Many of you are dealing with the same issue. As you come to the close of your journey at Andrews. And some of you are graduating and still gazing, as it were, into the heavens, stuck at one point in your life that has come to a close, ended, and you are frozen in the immediate past. While others know the next step but are afraid to take it. It's a growing phenomenon among the young adults It's a phenomenon that actually began with the millennial generation. Modern sociologists have seen this phenomenon among today's young adults, college graduates. They reach the age or the place in their lives when traditionally they're supposed to be ready for adulthood and independence, but instead they delay moving forward into the next stage of development. And some have labeled the phenomenon odyssey. After the seven-year journey and wanderings of of Odysseus, who wandered seven years after the Trojan Wars. It is a stage of hesitancy among the young adults. According to the developmental life cycle, as sociologists call call it, there are four stages of human development, childhood, adolescence, adult, and elderly. And according to the four stages, college graduation is supposed to mark the official beginning of Adulthood. When you're supposed to break away from your mother's apron strings and your parents' home and venture out on your own. Boy, it's real quiet in here now. (laughs) All of the years that your parents have poured themselves into you. And thousands of dollars that they've invested in your education, some from elementary school to academy to college, and all is now supposed to come to fruition and maturity. For many years now, your parents have been pushing you out of the nest for test flights so that you can try out your own wings and when the winds have become too dangerous and you've been thrown off course, they have swooped down and caught you and lifted you up under their wings just before you fell and hurt yourself. But when you graduate from college, you no longer have eaglet wings. Your wingspan is as wide and long and strong as your parents' wings. Come on, talk to me, somebody. At least that's what y'all say when you talk to your parents. I'm grown now. Don't tell me what to do. But many of you are still afraid to unfurl your own wings and fly by yourselves. A full grown eagle still living in your mother's nest. Still calling home for your rent money. Still living at home while working a full-time job. Oh, it's getting real quiet now. (laughs) Paul talks in the spiritual realm about living off the milk of the gospel and never learning to eat the meat of the gospel. Some of you have been in these Adventist cocoons so long. That you don't realize the wings that you've developed and what God has grown in you to achieve. When a worm begins to develop and spins a cocoon for itself to continue to grow into full maturity, it's not only for protection, it's also for progress. And part of the process of development, the moths... I should say developing a moth's wings and strengthening them to full maturity is, is the moth using those wings to break out of the cocoon. And it is through the process of unfurling their wings and breaking out of the cocoon that a fluid is released into the wings that gives them the ability to fully develop so that they can break out of the cocoon and make the wings strong enough to carry their weight so that once they have broken free, they can fly. But if they never break out of the cocoon by themselves, their wings shrivel and they remain in the lava stage, doomed to adult adolescence for the rest of their lives. Why has this delayed maturation process become so prevalent among young adults today? Well, for one thing, there's the, there's the phenomenon called helicopter parents. Getting real quiet now. Huh? These parents who swoop in whenever there's trouble and come in to help their children swoop, you know, swoop in like a helicopter. I heard about one That actually wanted to accompany their child to their first job interview. (laughs) What time is the interview? Don't worry, I'll be there. Lord have mercy. Now some of it's the result of the selfish independent values of boomers that abandoned their Gen X latchkey children. And the Gen Xers that suffered the selfish excesses of their boomer parents determined that they would not treat their children the same way that they were treated. And so they overcompensated and became overprotective helicopter parents that constantly hover and control their children and retard their maturation and development. So how do we move? From the gazing stage to the growing stage. Well, first, let's remember that Jesus did leave. But he did not leave them alone. He promised to send someone else to guide them the rest of the way. As a matter of fact, that someone else whose responsibility was to complete the journey they began with Jesus could not fully come until Jesus left. Just as John decreased so that Jesus could increase, Jesus is, Jesus, in Jesus leaving and Jesus decreasing, he had to decrease so that the Holy Ghost could increase. Hovering parents do not realize that their inability to decrease prevents someone else who God has planned to advance you to the next level in your experience to increase. Because God never leaves us alone. He always has a plan for our lives. There's always a purpose that God has for us. Come on, say amen, somebody. Jesus had to leave in order for the disciples to reach their full potential and receive everything God planned for them. As great as that mountaintop experience was and as powerful as it was for them to watch gravity lose its hold on Jesus, they could not remain there and fulfill the purpose God had for their lives. They had to leave the mountain. Graduation alone does not prepare you for the next level. It's an ending, but it's also a new beginning. You've got to leave the mountain in order to move to the next step. Acts one twelve says, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walked to the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James. And so they left the mountain where Jesus was and they gathered together. They got themselves together. And so the first thing they made were human connections. They realized the importance of coming together. They realized how much they needed each other. And they could not see that as long as Jesus was there. And sometimes we don't realize how much we need each other. And then verse 14 says, then they all join together constantly in prayer. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And the second thing they recognized was their need for a God connection. You're not going to make it without God. The same God who led you in the past must lead you into the future. There are many people who rely only on their human connections to prepare for the next phase of their lives. And this is a mistake. While human connections are important, they are not paramount. There are more and more young people who not only graduate from college, but they graduate from the creator. You're not going to make it in the future without God. It was the God connection that would prove to be the most important aspect of their future development. And it will be the most important aspect to further your development. But before the Holy Ghost could fully come, they had to make amends among themselves. You see, there is no fatherhood of God without a brotherhood of humanity. See, we've got to learn that if we're going to have God's full power in our lives, we've got to get it right among each other. Did you hear what I said? we got to get it right among each other. Doesn't make sense coming to church with each other and still dislike each other. So God brings them and gives them a test, a familiar test that goes to the heart of their greatest struggle, the desire for power. These are men that Jesus left to preach the gospel to the word, flawed and feeble, just like us. How are they going to handle the building of a new church, a church that would call them to preach the gospel to the world, not just to Jews, but to the world? How could they possibly do it? Their test came in the upper room after Jesus left and went back to heaven. And that's when the test always comes, when Jesus leaves us alone, when he's not there visibly. You see, we talk about diversity, how much we want diversity, how much we love everybody. But when it comes down to making the decision among ourselves and everyone in the room looks the same, who will we choose? That's when the true sincerity is revealed, and the challenge that they had was selecting a replacement for their former colleague whose career met an untimely end. It seems that their CFO, chief financial officer, the highest-ranking officer after Jesus, was more crooked than a barrel of snakes. Wall Street had nothing on Jesus' disciples. Judas was cooking the books and the disciples and the disciples own selfish ambition blinded them from seeing it self-promotion destroys spiritual perception. Judas must be replaced and the question is how will they select his successor? We may not know how to build towers but we know a whole lot about holding church elections. What method will the disciples used? Will they caucus in secret meetings and strategize to establish their positions? Will they be driven by power seeking and self ambition? Will they make backroom deals and compromise to advance their careers? Will they select one of their friends or a roommate from academy or college? Will they follow nepotism and hire a relative? or fellow countrymen what will they do peter breaks the silence and the tension in acts 121 he says so now we must choose another man to take judas's place it must be someone who has been with us all the time that we were with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us into heaven, whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. Did you get it? Their first criteria was someone who has been with Jesus from his baptism to his crucifixion to his resurrection and ascension. Not the most powerful, not the most eloquent, not the most educated, but someone who has always been with Jesus. He's the main criteria, not a relative, not someone of your race, but Jesus. Do you know Jesus? And look at how quickly the list narrowed when they used that criteria. Verse 23 says, So they nominated two men. Joseph called Barsabas, also known as Justice and Matthias. As soon as they used Jesus as the criteria, only two men qualified. Huh? That would make a lot of our elections very easy to settle. Come on, say amen, somebody. Then they all prayed for the right man to be chosen and listened to their prayer. Oh, Lord, they said, you know, every heart show us which of these men you have chosen. As an apostle to replace Judas, the traitor in this ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots. And in this way, Matthias was chosen and became an apostle with the other eleven. They did not depend on their own reasoning. They did not depend on their own ingenuity. They did not leave the decision up to the persuasive speech of an eloquent speaker. They admitted their shortcomings and submitted their decision-making to God's divine will. They said, Lord, you know our hearts. You know our own self-ambition. We don't know who to select. Lord, you show us who to select. They learned something in the upper room that every believer must learn. The power of self-denial and self-surrender They learned the lessons of Jesus who said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And because they were willing to submit to God's will, the Bible says in Acts chapter two, that a sound like a rushing mighty wind filled the upper room and the Holy Ghost filled their hearts. Graduation, then what? It's like asking, what's next, Lord? Remember that in the life of the Christian, there is always more ahead of us than behind us. Even when we come to the last moment of our lives on this earth, there is still more ahead of us than behind us. Well, how can you say that? Because God is eternal and as long as we have God, there is always a future. The best is yet to come. As long as you have God, you've got a future. He has a plan and purpose for your life. If you place your trust in him, that's what's next. But you've got to surrender to God to receive it. Are you willing to do that today? If you all stand to your feet right now as we close with prayer. Father, we thank you today that all of our biddings are enablings for you. There is nothing that you cannot do for us. that what we cannot see is clearly seen by you. You give sight to the blind, but our eyes can be made clear through the eyes of faith. So give us the faith to trust in you for the next steps into the future that every person here know, every graduate and every graduating family know that God has a plan for every person's life. If we are willing to trust you with the future, and may we continue to live our lives to please you and not ourselves. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory.